What the fuck is wrong with you? Free your mind. Come a little bit closer. Ooh, where was possibly I seen too much. Straight up now, tell me. Destination. It's witchcraft. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Homewrecker Podcast. I am the Golden Greek, Alex Arion, fresh off getting yelled at by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing, intelligent wife, the lovely Monique. Hi, Monique. Salutations. How are you? I'm wonderful after getting yelled at. It's not my fault you got yelled at. Whose fault is it? Yeah, okay, it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're trying this again now. J- just tried to do the show open and I uh, screwed it up royally. So we're this is take whatever by now, who knows. How are you doing this week? I am great. That's great. And you? I'm doing fantastic. Yes, lovely. As always. So please, let us start off by uh, me asking you, what's new with you? What is new with me? Yeah, because you, you, I'm sure you have some exciting things you'd like to share. At least I think that it's pretty cool, pretty I exciting do. stuff. So, I so do. please share with, with our hearers and watchers. Well, there is a new wonderful app called Crystal Eyes. It's Crystal and Eyes, E-Y-E-S. And this is the kind of app I have been searching for years for because it's a crystal identification app. And all of our hearers and watchers know how much I love my crystals. And yeah, um, this new app was developed by Ryan Singer and actually his family, I believe. And they put it together to help people take a picture to identify crystals. But it's not just that. It's also a really cool community of people. And they have featured partners with the app. And I just became a partner with the app. So I am writing articles. And that's one of the cool things about the app. There's different articles from people talking about astrology, crystals, all kinds of cool different things. There's a section for astrology and they have readings and all these really great resources of information. And they help you find where to get crystals that are ethically sourced because a lot of times crystals come from mines and people get them and they're cheap or they're even fake. But the real ones, they're overmining the land and they're using sometimes even slave labor. So you want to make sure they're ethically sourced and you're not just stripping the land of its natural resources. And that's really important. And they help educate and find places where you can get crystals that are ethically sourced. So it, it's just a whole bunch of awesomeness that I get to be a part of. Congratulations. Thank you. And I was going to say, anyone can be a part of it if you subscribe because it's a free app. Hell yeah. Yeah. You can subscribe and do um, like for free and then pay for a subscription. 
and you can get unlimited crystals to identify. And I think they're going to be working on other things for subscribers, but it's really cool. So please check it out. Crystal Eyes and for the website, crystaleyes.app, or just go on Google or the app store. At the Apple app store. Yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. I checked it out and everything. And, and, uh, I mean, you're, that's, that's more your stuff, more your kind of thing, but I, I checked it out. It's, it's pretty cool. Definitely pretty cool. So yeah. congratulations and, and definitely a, a very cool thing to be a part of yeah. for you, Thank especially. You. So yeah, everybody check that out. Anything else going on? Now I have to think that's kind of my big, exciting news. Oh, that's, I mean, that's pretty big and exciting. So yes, very cool. Mm -hmm. How about you? What's going on? What's going on with you? Uh, You know, I, I feel like every week we come on here and I give like just random updates about just stuff I'm doing with my, either my working out or my eating or, or not eating. Not, nothing really. Uh, I, I'm feeling good. I, life is good. I feel great. I feel like. I have less and less to talk about because, and that, and that, like, I feel like even coming up with stuff to talk about for the show, because I feel like every day I get more and more removed from what's going on in society and the outside and, world. And the outside world. Like, I feel like I'm just pl- I'm like removing myself even further and further from it. Like, I don't care about anything that's going on out there. I, I really just. It, feel like I'm in my own world now, just myself and my immediate family and that's it. And that's all I care about. So I don't know. It, it's weird. Like I, I really find that now if you ask me like about current events, I, I don't really know much of what's going on. I don't really care. Uh, so yeah, like the focus is made basically just on, on myself and, and improving myself, my health first and foremost, cause I want to be healthy so I can live a nice, long, healthy life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on our children and, and, and you obviously, but that's it. Like, so I, I don't know. I feel like kind of like, a, like I'm boring the, the viewer or the, or the hearer or the watcher by just talking about my, my diet and, and how I feel. But that, I mean, that's really my only updates currently. So mm. I'm great. Yeah, you are. All right, thank you so much. So what are we talking about? So today? anyway, yeah, why don't we just hop right into the show this week and what we're going to be talking about. Last week we did our show on Missing 411 mm-hmm. and one of the cases we talked about took place in, I believe it was Wyoming. And David Politis, the author of the Missing 411 series, uh, referenced a book called Alien Aliens in the Forest. And it was about a case, uh, a gentleman by the name of Donald Trump, who in the 1960s, 1964, uh, was in, had an encounter with some beings and the reason politis was uh mentioning that case is because the way he's approaching missing the missing 411 and trying to solve these disappearances what what he's saying is that the longer he's been looking into it and researching and collecting all this data and and examining all these different dis, uh, mysterious disappearances he's saying that he thinks that he needs to start looking outside of the realm of conventional thinking. Uh, like like we typically say at the beginning of the show, we try to take conventional wisdom and ways of thinking and obliterate them completely. Well, that's like what he's saying now is to start looking at alternative things and things that maybe people would consider to be 
unbelievable, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, extraordinary, out of the realm of normality. I don't know. Uh, so he referenced the book Aliens in the Forest, and I said uh, that I was going to order it and everything, and I did, and I read it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the book here, if you can see it, Aliens in the Forest, The Cisco Grove UFO Encounter by No Torres and Ruben Uriarte. Uh, pretty quick read, and it's about all about that encounter in, uh, in the Cisco Grove with uh, Donald Trump. So we're going to talk about it. Because right. I thought it was pretty fascinating. I, we we spoke about it a little bit before, but we, I didn't give you, give you too many of the details because I figured we'll kind of talk about mm-hmm. it here, and you can ask questions, and I can tell you what what I the information that I gathered from the from this reading the book and yeah. and this man's story. As you're talking, like my mind is like thinking of all the things that you told me about, and my mind's yeah. kind of going in all these different places. So cool, yeah, yeah, and I've and I've obviously had some time to think about it too, and just couple of different things that pop into my mind. We're, we're probably on the same page with a lot of this stuff. We we typically are. I know. I like want to jump in and talk about it right <laughs> now. I'm like, oh, I need to wait for you to set it up first. All right. I'll set it up. It, well, I'll give like a brief rundown and then we'll talk about different things. And uh, I figure I'm not going to read from the book, mm-hmm. really, uh, unless I need to pull a quote or something like that. But I, I didn't mark anything in the book to, to read from. Uh, I think there's a lot of great illustrations in here. Uh, from the from Donald Trump and a lot of photographs of the actual area and and the the space where the encounter took place. So I definitely recommend picking this up. It's I think it's like twelve bucks on Amazon or something like that. It wasn't expensive, and like I said, it's a quick read because the book itself is around one hundred and fifteen pages, and then the final hundred pages are a collection of interviews, uh, initial reports that were done by NICAP, uh, an appendix of other strange cases that are kind of similar in fashion, uh, and that's all in the book. So a lot of pictures, like I said. I, I recommend checking it out if it's something that, that interests you. This is something that I, I told you. I, I knew nothing about this encounter. I had never heard of it Uh it was not so, on our radar. Yeah, and, and I'm really surprised because apparently it's a famous case, and I just I'd never heard about it. From all the information that that I that I gathered uh, reading the book, the forwards, the afterwards, and and those type of things that were in there, I guess there was a lot of when the story initially came out in the '60s because he immediately went out and and kind of gave his his account of what happened uh, to the Air Force, and then he went to NICAP. Uh, which was like kind of the MUFON of the time. And it was put out there in, in various UFO journals and things like that, but a lot of the details were wrong. And he kept himself anonymous as well. And any time he talked to anybody, he didn't want to release his identity for fear of repercussions of his job and, and, you know, essentially the community at the time in the 60s. You say you had, had an encounter like, like what I'm going to get into here, you, you probably would have gotten ridiculed back then. So very, just a very, very interesting case. And I, I like I said, I'm just really surprised that I never heard about it until just recently. Yeah. So uh, you want to get into it? Do you got anything uh, you want to ask or, or mention before I get into the, the story? I'll give like a quick. So yeah, like start of- kind of. How this happened, where, when? 
So he it, the uh, the Cisco Grove is uh, it's in California. Mm-hmm. And does it say where like southern northern Cisco Grove? Oh man. See, th- this is what stinks because I'm not familiar with the area or uh, anything like that. So uh, it's in, uh, excuse me, uh, the Sierra Nevada mountain range in the Tahoe National Forest of northeastern California. Northeastern. Okay. Northeastern. Yeah. Because I'm like, uh, that means nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. If I say Cisco Grove, you're going to be like, huh? Yeah, and that's kind of same here. I, I'm, I'm not, we're not from California. I've, I visited California once. I've never uh, been. Many years ago. Uh, thanks to you. And, um. So yeah, I just I just knew California forest. That was all I knew. So that's that's where it is. Northeastern California. Again, pick up the book and it's all in there. They'll they'll tell you all that. There's maps and everything. It's great. So what happened was this was 1964. This took place uh, between September 4th and September 5th, 1964. And keep those dates in mind. And you'll bring up something about that later. Mm-hmm. And what happened was Donald Trump and two of his friends, so three men total, went out into the woods to go on an overnight hunt. And they split up and they were within each other's eyesight. So they were far enough apart where they could, I guess they were doing like kind of a grid pattern and they were bow hunting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were kind of looking, hunting for whatever they were hunting for and... They split up and they they had set up a camp, excuse me. They set up a camp first and then they split up, but they were all within eye, uh, each other's eyesight. And then what happened was two of the gentlemen were kind of lower down on the mountain and where Shrum was, he couldn't get down to where they were. He had to actually go kind of backtrack and go around to get to the spot down below where they were. So he briefly lost line of sight with them because he had to go around and they knew that he was going to be going around and everything. And what happened was they lost eyesight. It started to get kind of dark and he decided out with hell with it. I, I, I can't see them anymore where they are. So I'm just going to set up temporary camp for the night here. And they were all experienced hunters. They'd all been out in the woods many, many times before. I believe Shrum was 25 years old at the time. And so what happened was he got himself a little area, a little camp that he set up for himself, and he was going to actually, he was planning on staying up in a tree. Now, I'm not a hunter, so I don't, I, I guess this is a common thing where they, they'll set up and they'll just, you know, you set up like a tree stand or whatever, but he didn't have that. He just found a tree that he was going to hop up in and just sit up there and he was going to strap himself in and just sleep in the tree at, for that night. So, okay, cool, you know, that's, but that was his plan. And so what ended up happening was a couple hours went by and it, I, I believe he thought, he said that he thought it was around nine o'clock in the evening and he saw a light off in the distance kind of coming towards him and he thought it was a helicopter. He thought, oh, my friends must have went and got help because they know that I got lost and I never made it back to camp. So he thought that's that it was the helicopter coming to get him. That that's what he assumed. Now, in retrospect, he he says himself in interviews and things that there's no way they would have been able to, you know, go go back to civilization and get help, and, and it wouldn't be back that quick. But him being out in the middle of nowhere, that's just where his mind went. That's what he thought. And so, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a normal thought of, oh, I got separated, they got help. 
I mean, I don't know. It's just seems... Yeah, I guess so. But, but you're not really w- thinking logically. You're just... Yeah. So right. That makes sense. Yeah. So he sets up... Uh, uh, like I said, he was going to step in the tree, but he sees this light coming at him. So he immediately uh, starts a fire, like a signal fire, because he's thinking these this light is a helicopter coming to get him. Well, the light's getting closer and closer, and he realizes there's no sound. He doesn't hear anything. A helicopter is loud, especially out in the middle of nowhere. You're out in the forest. It's quiet. All you're hearing really are the sounds of nature around you. You're not, you're removed from the city. You're not hearing cars. You're not hearing, you know, (laughs) fans, whatever. You're not hearing the city life, essentially. And so he realizes that there's, there's no sound coming. So he's right away now. He's like, what the hell is that thing? And it's getting closer and closer. He realizes it's a really big craft, like a cigar shaped craft. And, it, and he said it had three distinct panels on the side of it. And, and he drew a picture of it in the, uh, in the book. And, and it kind of went off past him. And now he, was, he got kind of scared because he, he's seeing something. He doesn't know what it is. And now remember, this is 1964. So UFOs, flying saucers, they're out there. People have heard about them, but they're not like what they are now. Back then, if you believed in that kind of stuff, you were a kook. You were... Consider to be a tinfoil hat wearing, whatever you, yeah. you you had that stigma, and so he said at the time he was indifferent about the subject either way. He didn't really care one way or the other about it if the aliens existed or not. He didn't really care, but now he's seeing this thing and he doesn't know what it is. So that's where his mind goes right away. Oh crap! It's a it's a UFO. It's aliens, because that's where you know, where where else is the mind going to go at that point? Mm-hmm. And so he, again, like I said, he puts out his fire and he gets up his tree and he hides up in the tree and he's watching this light and it kind of goes off in the distance a little bit. And then he notices this huge craft that out of one of the panels comes another light. So another light comes out and it's another craft, a smaller craft, and it starts descending down close by to where he is. It, it, it settles down behind some trees so he can't see the craft but he starts hearing some rustling around in the brush and he notices two figures, two humanoid figures, his words coming out of the bushes. They're walking like human. They're not talking, but they're, they look humanoid. They have two arms, two legs, a head dressed all in white. He can't make out any facial features. So he's not sure if they're wearing masks or, or helmets or what he doesn't know what, if they're, he doesn't, he can't tell if it's a, if it's a human, but it's a humanoid type figure. So he doesn't know if it's somebody in a suit or what. Humanish. Yeah. But again, not, they're not talking. They're not making any sounds. And they're essentially, it looks like they're just looking around, looking at some bushes. It looks like they're taking samples. Now, again, it's dark, so he can just kind of make out what they're doing, but they don't, to his knowledge, they haven't noticed him. So he's just being real still, being real quiet, just observing them and hoping they don't see him because he's scared. He doesn't know what's happening. He's obviously, this is something that he wasn't expecting to run into out in the forest while he's bow hunting. And so a couple minutes go by. He says that more figures come out of the brush and he counts about five. So five, they're all, he's, he's now about 12 feet up in a tree. And he's looking down. So 
to gauge how big or small something is kind of tough because you're looking down so you can't get an accurate height, right? Mm -hmm. He's guesstimating between five feet and five feet, three, four inches tall. So five, five, five feet to five foot four, somewhere around there. And he said they were all built very stocky. So not, didn't, not muscular exactly, but just stocky. So he couldn't, but again, this is from up in a tree and it's dark and they're all wearing white. Again, nope, nothing has looked at him, acknowledged him up in the tree. He's in all camo, by the way, you know, again, wearing hunting gear. So he's pretty well hidden, he thinks. This goes on for a little while and then he hears some more rustling coming out of the brush only it's not like the the quick kind of rustling. It's not, and and he notices movement coming at like out of out of the brush towards where the rest of the the group is, kind of circling around and collecting flowers, leaves, whatever they're doing stuff. Yeah, and it looks mechanical, and and it's much bigger than the other humanoids. This also is a humanoid-looking figure, but he says it's moving very mechanical-like, almost like a robot. So he immediately, that's where, where his mind goes, is this is a robot. Much bigger. He said it looked metallic, and it went over to where the fire was. And it kind of went around and put, put its hand down around the, the ashes and picked them up and was kind of like scattering them around. So he took that as a a sign that almost like the fire was not good to them or maybe because the ashes might have been hot or the embers were hot from his fire or something. So he took it as, oh, let me store that in the memory bank. Maybe they don't like fire or they don't like heat or something. Or they don't want a forest fire. Or that. So now this robot turns around and turns its attention to him. He... They know he's there. Apparently, apparently, they've known the whole time, and they all of them now turn their attention to him up in the tree, and they all get go over towards the tree. They get to the base of the tree, and they all look up at him. And he said that the eyes were huge, almost like wearing goggles, but it looked like there that was the eyes. Now again, it's dark, so. Was it really, was it their face with their eyes or were they wearing some kind of a mask? Because when it's you told me that to last say. night, I was like, could it be some kind of mask, goggles, eyewear? Well, he said that the eyes were so big that it looked like goggles, mm-hmm. but he couldn't tell if it was eyes or goggles. Mm-hmm. What terrified him was when the robot looking thing looked up at him, the eyes glowed almost like the color of fire, mm. like an orangey yellow Kind of like the, the color of fire is how he described it. And he said that terrified him. And he did the best he could to just stay still at that point and not and not move, hoping that maybe they, if he's still, they won't bother him. They might just, you know, kind of, kind of like if you think you see something, but you're not sure, you just kind of look for a minute. And if it doesn't move, you move on kind of thing. Who knows? The guy's terrified at this point, though, as which is understandable. You don't know what the hell's going on. So they they kind of back away and then the the robot looking thing the the humanoids kind of back away go about their business again save two of them two of them stick around with the robot 
and he said that he f- he feels like they were communicating back and forth with weird like chirping kind of sounds and he wasn't sure if it was coming from the robot or the humanoids but they were communicating back and forth in some way and he said that the robot looked away at the direction of where the ship was where the the smaller ship was and the the bigger ship by the way is still visible off in the distance in the air, in the, in, in the sky, so it's still kind of hovering around there, and 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 in his his eyesight, but it's it's far enough away that it's not like close. And so, he said that the robot looks the, at the direction of the ship, and then he looks back up at him, and the mouth opens, and some mist starts coming out of its mouth, and goes up, starts floating up towards him, and it's like a controlled type of cloud that starts just flowing up towards him up in the tree and he doesn't smell anything but the next thing he knows he passes out and he said he was out for it could have been just maybe it could have been more than a couple of seconds because he remembers looking down seeing this coming up at him and he doesn't smell anything but the next thing he knows he sees himself falling as I as I move away from my mic, uh, falling forward kind of, and and his eyes closing, and he falls face first into his bow, and that brings him back. So he's like kind of starting to black out, but then he comes to real quick, and then he starts dry heaving like mm-hmm. crazy. So he's obviously having so some kind of reaction. So they're 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 gassing him. They're they're trying to uh, knock him out. I guess I would I would assume, but it's an odorless gas, like I said, and so. He just assumes, oh, they're trying, they're doing something. They're trying to get me out, out of the tree. Now, now he knows they know I'm here, and they're now they're trying to hurt me. So he now goes into survival mode. Obviously, as as you would think, anybody would. So he takes his arrow, he pulls back as far as he can, and he's got a sixty pound bow. Now I know nothing about hunting, but they were, they did a pretty good job of describing it in the book. He pulls back with the bow. And let's go and and nails the robot thing right in the chest. And he said it was metallic because it sparked when the arrowhead hit it. And it also knocked it back about four or five feet. It kind of staggered back. Didn't knock it down, but he staggered it back. And then it kind of went back even more on its own. And the two humanoids also backed off about 25, 30 feet away from the tree. So he obviously, he did enough to to let them know, oh shit, this this guy's armed or whatever he took another two shots with the arrow at the robot same thing he hit the he hit the robot but they just their arrowheads and it bounced off it but it would spark each time he noticed one of the one of the arrows that he shot deflected off and went off into a bush and he he made a mental note of where it went and and he saw it and heard it where it landed i i bring that up because it's going to be a point later in the story so now He's bought himself some time, but he's shot all his arrows. He's hoping that the, these things are going to go away. Well, they don't. They come back. It just deters them for a little bit. Now they come back. He says he's getting the feeling almost like they're curious. Like, what's this? Like, oh, what's this guy doing? What What? What was that that he just did? Who knows? You know, again, who knows? So they come back to him again. The, the two humanoids now start to try to climb the tree. So as they start to climb the tree, he starts shaking the tree, and that gets them off. So they're kind of bewildered by the, the movement of the tree and the shaking of the tree. Again, this is the way he's describing it. And 
so it would they would back off for a few feet, you know, they'd back off a few feet, wait a few minutes, and then try again. And he would just, again, just shake the tree. And this went on for a good 35, 40 minutes. And then the robot comes back. And again, more gas. Gasses him again. And he blacks out quickly, but comes to again, starts dry heaving. So now he's like, okay, that gas wasn't a one-time thing. This is something they're going to keep hitting me with. So now he takes his belt. He's wearing his belt. He loosens it all the way to the final loop. And he like kind of uh, loops himself around the tree. So he ties himself around the tree and he's got his belt on. So he's kind of belted to the tree to keep himself up from falling. The, the little dudes try to climb up again. He shakes a tree. They gas him again. He passes out, comes to, he's dry heaving. They're coming up the tree. He shakes the tree. This goes on for a couple hours. He Now he had some matchbooks uh, that, that were in his pockets, and he said that every time he went hunting, he would always carry several matchbooks with him just in case he had to start a fire. He wouldn't have to worry about how to start a fire or anything. He had plenty of matches on him. So he lights a match, lights the matchbook, and throws it down at them. And it scares them. They back off. They back away. So now he's taking, he takes his hat off. He lights his hat on fire and throws it down. He's trying to light brush around him on fire to get them away because he realizes, okay, the fire is acting as a repellent. They're obviously not liking fire being thrown at them, which I mean, I don't think anybody would, but he realizes this is a defense for him. So he's taking dollar bills out of his wallet, lighting him, whatever he's got on him. He ends up, all his Campbell stuff is taken off. He's wearing just his jeans and a white t-shirt and all his other clothing. He's taken strips off and burned. And this goes on for hours and Nothing. He they, he runs out of stuff to throw at them, runs out of things to, to light on fire. So he starts taking his change out. And he's got, he said, a, a couple dollars worth of change, quarters, dimes, the whole thing, whatever. And he's whipping quarters at them. He's just whipping stuff at them to keep them away because they just keep coming up. And and this goes on again, like I said, for, for hours. And, and with the robot coming, gassing him. He'd pass out for, for a couple seconds, come to dry heave, rinse, repeat. This went on and on. A second robot now comes out of the brush a couple hours later. So now he's got two. Two of these robots are now at the base of the tree and they're both looking up at him and they're now they're double gassing him, trying to get him to pass out long enough for, we assume, to be taken down out of the tree to do Lord knows what with him. This is this is obviously what we're assuming. It it would deductive reasoning would say that's pretty pretty safe bet. So the final time that he can recall, he's he's he, uh, he he did say that at one point he contemplated just letting himself loose and climbing up a little higher to a branch on the far side of the tree and jumping off into the ravine below and killing himself, just committing suicide. Because he was just, he was depressed. He was desperate. He didn't know what else to do. He, he didn't want these things getting him because he didn't know what they would do to him if they got him. Obviously, he must have heard stories of alleged abductions and things. And by that point, science fiction stories and movies and TV were out and they didn't paint aliens in the best light. So that's probably the kind of stuff he's got going on in his mind. And who can blame him? And obviously, with what they're doing, who can blame him? Mm-hmm. 
So now he said the only thing keeping him from jumping to his doom was the fact that he had a young wife at home and a young daughter. He had a daughter. His daughter, I believe, was one years old at the time. One year old, excuse me. And so that was the only thing he said. He just, he had to see them and hold them and kiss them again. And that was the only thing that kept him going and kept him fighting. So now it's the, the final time he gets double gassed. He recalls just kind of passing out. And this, this is, this was the one that put him over the top and did, did him in, so to speak, where he finally passed out. He passes out and he comes to, He's not sure how long later, but now it's light out. The sun has yet to rise all the way up, so he can't see the sun yet, but but it's light out now. You can see more. And he comes to, and he's just hanging from the tree. He's only hanging by his belt. His legs are dangling. His head's down. He's, he's hanging pretty low on the tree, but there's no sign of any of the robots or humanoids. They're gone. So he kind of collects himself, dry heaves some more, gets himself you know loose from the tree and he climbs down and now he's he's disoriented obviously he's just been through hell all night he doesn't know how long he's been out for he assumes a couple minutes but who knows and so he gets down to the ground and he notices that he sees all the stuff that he'd thrown down his burned clothing he sees the 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 remnants of fires that he started that burnt out some of the brush around him that burnt out and he notices the only thing that's gone is the coins, the change that he threw. So all the thieves. All the coins are gone. And it was pretty interesting because in the book, what the authors were theorizing was that perhaps if these were aliens from another planet, another dimension, whatever, if they're not from here, that a coin is actually a really good way to study a civilization because coins have pictures on them they are they're clear you can you can make out exactly what's on them they're they're they could also be a an indicator of a civilization's technology a society's technological advances because if it's something that's machine milled and looks real pristine and nice and neat that that could be an indicator of a more advanced type civilization or at least an intelligent civilization so they were theorizing that maybe that's why if they were creatures or aliens, that that's why they were taking these coins because they were shiny and they had pictures on them and, and writing. So it could be something for them to study. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good guess. Seem, seems like it could, could be a possibility, right? But that was the only thing that was missing. He collected his arrowheads. He, he, sorry, excuse me. He, he found two of his arrowheads and the third one, remember the one I mentioned before, he just left it. He left it and he started to kind of try to make his way back to camp. He was exhausted though and he said he just dropped after five minutes of walking. He dropped and he just laid down where he was on the ground and just went to sleep. One of his camp mates, his, his hunter, hunting buddies, excuse me, saw him, found him and you know got him up and brought him back to camp, held him back to camp, made him some soup, kind of nursed him a little bit and laid him down to sleep, and he slept for six hours. When he came to, both of his buddies were there, so all three are now reunited. They're all back at camp. And essentially what had happened was when they lost eyesight with him, the other two started to make their way back to camp. One of them made it back. The other one didn't. 
Uh, so he ended up having to sleep kind of out in the, in the forest as well on his own, but made it back the following morning and they saw him uh, when he was on his way back. So the one that stayed out in the forest saw what he thought was a meteor or a shining star or shooting star, excuse me. But he thought it was odd because it was moving so slow. And he mentioned this to Donald, who was now kind of coming to after waking up. And he, they, his, his buddy said they knew he'd been through something because he just looked out of it. He looked bewildered. He looked just exhausted. He had Not obviously tonight. been through something. Yeah, obviously been through some kind of or, ordeal, but he hadn't kind of he hadn't communicated that to them yet what he'd gone through so he tells them exactly what he went through lays it all out to them and they they both one of the gentlemen was never interviewed he didn't want any publicity at all the other one didn't really give a lot of interviews but he he would answer questions if a journalist would contact him or whatever and he said yeah you could tell obviously he went through something and we believed him right away because the gentleman, his friend that would talk and was open to talking is the one that saw the shooting star meteor that was moving really slow. And he said that he must have seen that craft. That must be what he saw because of how it just moved so slow. And I apologize. I'm going to backtrack actually to the, the Shrum encounter. He said that when the second robot came out through the brush, he watched as the the main craft went from one position in the sky, kind of hovering, and shot up really quick instantly to a much higher position in the sky, almost like it was it was much further away, but almost like now that it was so far far up it could see better, perhaps. Mm-hmm. He's again hypothesized theorized that he doesn't know, but this is what he observed. So I forgot to mention that to you. But the buddy now, back to the the buddy the next day, He's, he believes him completely because he says, I saw that. I saw that must be what I saw. I, so I know he's, he's got to be telling you, I saw it. So that must be what it was. So they get him back to, they get him back home. His wife said that when he came home, he was very, uh, didn't even say hello, just came right in, sat down at the, at the kitchen table and immediately told her everything that he, he didn't say hi. He just came in and started telling the story of what he went through. And essentially based on everything that she said about the way he was acting and everything, sounded like he was in shock, which understandable. Her father, his his wife's father, so Donald Trump's father-in-law, was a retired Air Force general, I believe. He was pretty high up there. And so she contacted him and asked, was there any military exercises going on in the area that he maybe stumbled upon because this is what he's trying to, he's trying to be rational about things. He's trying to not think it's aliens. He he wants to make sure he rules everything else out before he goes there because he's terrified of what, what he went through. So he reaches out the, the, the father-in-law reaches out to the air force. They tell him, no, there was nothing going on in the area. We were nowhere near there. So take that for what it's worth. Were they? We don't know. But they said they were not. So they were concerned about possible radiation sickness because if he was exposed to a UFO, the stories were, and, and, and one of his Air Force buddies, one of, the, one of the things was radiation sickness. Is he going to get sick? So for the next couple of weeks, 
they were terrified that he's going to get radiation poisoning and he's going to st- start to show the symptoms of it. So they kept a close eye on him. Thankfully, he didn't didn't experience any of that, but it was a very stressful couple of weeks for he and his wife. Now, this gentleman, Donald Trump, pretty respectable kind of guy, again, 25-year-old, but already married with a, with a wife, a uh, young girl at home, and had a pretty good job. He was working on missiles, building uh, missiles for the, and, and the company he worked for had a contract with the Air Force. So they're not going to let just anybody get that job, right? I mean, if you, if you try to get a job in defense contract or anything like that, especially nowadays, you, you've got to pass a pretty you know, pretty solid background check and that kind of thing. So he, he had a decent job doing a, a relatively important job, right? So comes from that background. So he doesn't want to, he wants to get his story out, but he wants to be anonymous about it. He doesn't want to lose his job. So he does, he contacts the Air Force and says, I'd like to, to tell you what happened to me because he knew that they were the, the government entity that was tasked with investigating UFOs at the time. So he contacts them and tells them their, his story. He and his wife go to uh, the outside of a military base to meet up with two representatives from the Air Force they met in a house, uh, or they, they, they describe it as a house, a residence right off base, but the way they describe it was it looked almost like a movie set because they walked into the house and it was very just bare. There was no pictures anywhere. There was no, like you go into somebody's house, the walls are painted, they got knickknacks on the walls, pictures on the walls. You know, essentially your, your home kind of becomes an extension of your mm-hmm. personality, right? Well, this house had none of that. No personality whatsoever. It looked like it was just kind of thrown up. Had a very bland kitchen and a kitchen table and that's where they sat was in the kitchen. And they, they had a little real tape recorder set up on the table and they asked him uh, questions about his encounter they said that the the two representatives from the Air Force were very condescending, were very uh, almost didn't believe him kind of the, in the way they were talking to him. You could tell that they were being very dismissive of him. And he was, again, he volunteered to go to them. And he contacted them to give them his story so that he could, because he, he's concerned that there, is this going on? Like, is this something that's happening? We need to do something about this. If, if these are aliens, we got we, we to gotta do something about them. We can't let them just come down and attack our people, right? Can't be misting and gassing everybody, <laughs> yeah, right. making them pass out and dry heave after. Right. So, that, so that's what happens. Gives them the story, and then he gives them his arrowhead. The, the, the first arrowhead that hit the, 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 the robot alien thing, we'll call it. Because that's the one that made the most solid contact from the closest range, and it had residue on it from whatever was on the whatever coating was on the metal or alloy or whatever the thing was made of. So he gave them that arrowhead and, and asked if he could get it back, and they said, "Oh yeah, we're going to run some tests on it. We'll get it back to you. We'll let you know what we find. We'll we'll make sure we return it back to you." This and that. Of course, that none of that ever happened. He never heard back from them, and they never gave him his arrowhead back. He did inquire about it, and they always just said, oh, uh, they said they passed it off to another laboratory that was assisting them in research, and then, of course, never never heard back again. But, so anyway, he gives them his story, and then he goes back to the site with his brother, 
some of his other friends, his wife. They took pictures of the site where the, uh, the tree was. And he noticed that the area, all of his stuff, all the... Any of the th- you know the 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 matchbooks, any of the the burnt clothing, all that stuff was now gone. It had all been cleared away. How and long was this after the encounter? About a week after the encounter, or, or excuse me, because uh, he immediately went to the air force, and then uh, about a day or two after he went to the air force, he went back. Okay, so within a few days. Within a few days, yeah, okay. we'll say exa- again exact timeline. Read the book for the the perfect details. I'm giving you a brief overview, as brief as I can make it. He notices that the whole area now has been cleaned up. And I I left out another detail. When he first got down off the tree, he noticed footprints everywhere from where the beings, the humanoids, and the robot were standing. And he said that the footprints looked like, uh, like somebody was wearing a moccasin, so no tread at all, but very small, almost like childlike feet, so very small feet footprints everywhere just very small well now going back everything's cleaned up and he notices rake marks everywhere so somebody went back Hmm. we're going to assume the air force or the military went back cleaned up the area of all the debris that was there from him because he again when he gave his encounter he'd written out a map he detailed exactly the location where everything was he was very detailed in, in his account to the Air Force. So he's putting two and two together now thinking, well, they must have come out here to check everything out. And he said it had to be a, a number of men because there were different boot marks around and mm-hmm. cigarette butts and different packages of empty cigarettes that were thrown around the area. But all his stuff was cleaned up and gone and there was rake marks where all the footprints were. What they missed was... His third arrowhead, which remember when he shot it off, he noticed where it bounced off, ricocheted off of the robot and where it flew off into the distance. And he heard and saw, excuse me, he saw where it landed in a bush. He went out, he got the arrow and retrieved it. So he had that. Now he goes, he starts contacting different UFO type places. Like I said, NICAP. And his first interview that he gave with NICAP is actually in the book. So definitely recommend checking that out where he goes over a lot of, he answers a lot of the investigators questions and and gives a lot more detail than, than the initial story in the book. But essentially from there, he just kind of, he gave his story out and then he just kind of let it be because what else are you going to do? And again, he wanted anonymity. He didn't want his name out there with anything. Uh, a couple of different outlets that put out his story, like I said, got a lot of his details wrong. They they described the humanoids as floating in the air and shooting things at him, which he said never happened. And they, they didn't move like that. They moved like humans. But again, sensationalistic writing. You got to make things I mean, as if this isn't sensational enough as it is. Right. They got to they got to add these these crazy details in there. And apparently they did some recreations for television and shows and things like that. But all stuff that he had no part of and all of it was a was a gross misrepresentation of what actually happened to him in his in his own words. So that's essentially where we're at. I, I think it was uh, he was anonymous until 2005. Okay. When he finally decided to come out and he actually went to a UFO convention and gave his story and 
wanted to set the record straight about it. Because now, I mean, obviously, this was, this was back in the 60s, so he's an older man now. He's in his 70s, 80s. He, he's, he wants to get his story out there, but it, apparently it's something that he still, uh, that was another thing, he's had a lot of uh, PTSD from it, post-traumatic stress from it. He got nightmares. His wife said he would wake up for about two or three years after the encounter, would wake up in just cold sweats and and would wake up screaming, those eyes, those eyes, because he would wake up seeing the eyes in his dreams from the, the, the robot-looking thing staring up at him when he's in the tree. Another thing that he noticed was he got a buzzing in his ears. And anytime he'd get a buzzing, he would look up in the sky. His wife noticed that behavior from him as well and thought it was very strange. And she said that anytime she could tell when the buzzing was happening to him because he would just start looking up and looking around, almost like he's getting paranoid. And they said that one time they went camping out in the woods with the family of the guy who saw the the light with him, mm-hmm. one of the one of his hunter friends that was with him on the initial night of the encounter. And that Donald heard the buzzing again while they were just sitting around the, the campfire and they're out in the woods. And that that night he was acting his wife said he was acting very paranoid and that he actually got his handgun out of his bag and slept with it under his pillow because he was scared. And he was petrified that something was going to happen. And they awoke early in the morning, about two or three in the morning, to something rustling around outside of their tent. Now, they never opened the tent to see what it was. Nothing ever tried to get in the tent. So they assumed it was just deer or elk or something. Or aliens. (laughs) Right. Or... That, that's where my mind initially went was oh, the, the fucking aliens came back for him. Holy crap. But uh, they don't know that. But anyway, uh, so that was one of the things, the other things he, he'd get that buzzing in his ears. So he just uh, wanted to come forward and, and set all this out before, you know, he wasn't going to be around any, any longer because of yeah. old age to tell his story. So he wanted to set the record straight. And that's essentially he, where the authors of the book, they met him there at this UFO convention and that's where he agreed to kind of tell his story. And there I you go. I have many thoughts. I'd love to hear them. First of all, what was the date he gave? So it was September 4th, 1964. So I did the math and I'm like, that comes out when you add it up, it adds up to 33. So you're talking about the numerology. Yes. The numerology, yes. that date comes to 33. And I'm like, that's really interesting because yeah, we've talked about 33 on the show before. Yes. And my mind thinks, okay, is it all just set up? There's a number of things. First of all, my first thought is with these aliens, these so-called aliens, my, my mind goes to like, these dudes are like, hey, there's a guy up in the tree. We need to help him. Hey, and hey, come on down. And he doesn't know. Hey, let's get the robot. It's going to help him down. It'll calm him down. It'll sedate him a little. I'm thinking like you're trying to get a scared cat out of a tree and it's just making it worse. <laughs> and they're like, let's climb up and go help him. He's like, ah, he's shooting at us. Now he's throwing money at us. What the hell? Like this is, of course, where my mind goes. But then my mind went to missing 411. 
where yes. people are found in trees and when they're missing clothes and it's like are they doing something to like fight somebody off using their clothing I, th- you know that could be very well be what what might be happening but then here's where my logic mind goes to with this his father-in-law is a higher up in the military air force he works for a place that has a contract with the military. Yeah. And he's out hunting and this happens. And we've heard so many stories about misinformation and disinformation, how they'll put somebody out there to tell these stories about aliens that aren't true, but they make it so people think it's true. Like, oh, nobody believed them. The Air Force, you know, didn't believe them. They laughed at him pretty much. They were cynical towards him, and yet then they checked it out to make it just seem more credible. But my my mind can't help but go to, is this just a well-made-up story by somebody who works for the military? Well, he doesn't work for the military, though. He That's says he doesn't work for the military. Okay. He, he ended his days until retirement working, delivering uh, plumbing supplies. So I, I don't, I'm not saying he, I'm, listen, I'm just telling you, no, I'm telling you what's in mindset. the book. I'm telling you the story. Mm-hmm. We could pick it apart and we can go, I bet he works for the government. I bet he's I'm misinformation and disinformation. I'm just saying this is where my mind goes to all these things. Because that's, if it is a true story, taking him at his word, you think that's pretty terrifying to be sure. feeling like you're being attacked, to be gassed by something that you don't know what it is, but it's making you pass out. And then when you come to dry heave, like, obviously, it's not giving a good reaction. Right. My other thought, too, is, like, what would happen if he just stayed on the ground and was like, hi? What would they do? Well, he didn't want to. I know. He didn't, he didn't want to find, find out. out. So was it because of the stories he heard at the time, or was it that gut instinct of run? Like, that animalistic instinct of, I need to get away. I, I mean, he was, he's, his words, he was terrified. Mm-hmm. He was, he was in survival mode. I don't think you go into that uh, uh, if you don't feel some sense of danger. Mm-hmm. No, he, he I, obviously saying, felt like, threatened. Yeah. So, but is it because you saw something come down and you think it's an alien? And you don't want to get probed because of the stories you heard? Oh, I don't or, know if the probing stories were out I yet. I know, but I'm just like trying that. to give an example of the mindset. Right. Is it because of what you think it is and the negative stories that you've heard? Or is it because you get that true feeling inside that tells you, get the fuck out of here? Or do what you have to do, fight or flight? So I'm just, again, where my mind goes, the way I'm thinking with this story but yes, if it was true, that is terrifying. And if he's up all night, and, and also with getting gassed towards the end, it would make sense if he stayed out longer because he's so exhausted. Oh yeah, by this point he's out. He's he's been up all night. Mm-hmm. I'm sure his adrenals are just shot. Yeah, <laughs> his adrenaline's got to be just expent. Mm-hmm. You would think he's he's got to be thirsty, hungry. He threw his canteen you're, you're at them. The story, like, you know, does he like, have to go to the bathroom? I mean, <laughs> start pissing, you start on, the pissing on the aliens. Maybe I can know. short circuit the robot. He's, Just starts doing his best him. monkey impersonation, pooping his hands, <laughs> throwing it at them. I don't know. No, like, yeah, I just think that. Um, 
I mean, the story, the way it's told, it makes sense. Like, okay, this is somebody in fight or flight. They're in survival mode. Right. And they're just doing what they can think of to survive. But then, of course, my mind goes in all these different places about uh, and, what and it could be. Anytime that I hear government of any type, any type of government agency, I, my mind goes there now, too. And I, I, because of all the different stories we've heard of the in, misinformation, the disinformation, and that type of stuff that's out there. So my mind, I, I do the same thing, but I think we have to be careful not to do that too much. I think it's okay to have that skeptical mindset and mm-hmm. to have those what if questions. But I think that when we do it too much now, no one's ever going to tell the truth. But no one's ever credible because of the government's yeah. involved. So we have to be careful to walk that fine line and not just immediately dismiss something because and I agree, of. Because I have another place where my mind goes too. Oh boy. I'm thinking because of his ties to the military, what if people like that are specifically picked on? So people who think that way won't believe them. I don't know. Or or like, what if they're just like, oh yeah, hey, my son-in-law, let's fuck with him today or whatever the reason is. Is it somebody where you have close enough ties to where they can monitor monitor you, keep an eye on you, see what you say, how you're acting, things like that? Are they testing something? I don't know. Again, my mind goes everywhere. Okay. So with that mindset or, or going based off of that theory, then you would that would mean that the Air Force or the gov- secret government project or whatever, because this guy works for a military contractor, they knew where he was going to be in the woods. They knew he'd get separated from. They knew he'd get separated from his friends and end up by himself up on the top of a mountain away from his friends. If they were watching him, they would know. Right. And they sent this craft out and all that j- just to his location. If they were watching him with know. what? Drones? What? Like, this oh, is yeah. 1964. Well, oh, and that was the other thought. Yeah, because you pretty sure they've had that technology. What if those masks gave them either infrared so they could like have night vision or some kind of heat signature? It makes me wonder, those goggles. Listen, I'm not saying it's impossible. Was it technology they were wearing? It could, you know, it could. that could be all it was, is the government just fucking with this guy. That could be it. But, but this guy, I, I tend to think that what he's telling is true for him. He, he never said aliens or you have, or he just said he doesn't know. But he wasn't gonna let he wasn't gonna let them take him. Did you tell me he also got hypnotized? He did. Okay. He he got he went into regression hypnosis. That's right. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. Well, with, I'm like, well, was with that you a different right story? No, it was the okay. story. He got regressed because when he was giving his story to the NICAP and the MUFON and the different UFO investigators, a lot of them were saying. You probably got taken and they did tests on you and whatever else. And then they put you back up in the tree. And you, that's where you came to. Because that's because not horrifying. Missing time and that kind of thing. That's what they were theorizing because that's at the time what the stories they're hearing from people. Right. So he, of course, this is obviously terrifying the guy because he doesn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. 
So he agreed to be regressed and, and hypnotized to find out if he could find out what happened during that, that time that he was out because he didn't, wasn't sure, again, how long he was out for. So they regressed him, and I guess what happened was the first time his wife made them stop because he was getting really angry uh, and really just scared and terrified, and, and she was getting upset watching it, so she made them stop and pull him out. So I guess the next time they went in and put him under, they had him be, uh, you're probably better with the language in this than me. Oh, obviously you are. He's essentially like watching, so, observing as if he's watching what took place on- An objective observer. Yeah, he, they, they said, pretend you're watching on TV mm-hmm. and just lay out what happened. Because when, when you regress, you could either be like first person, so you're experiencing it as you are in that first and, person And I way. think that's what it was the first time around. Mm-hmm. Or as an objective observer, whether you're watching from a distance, like it's on a screen and you're somewhere else just watching it. There's different ways you can set it up for people to view it. So yeah, that's what they that's how they did it the the next time around and all his, his entire everything that he relayed uh, consciously, he remembered everything. The only major detail that he recalled under hypnosis was the size of the craft and just that it was enormous, much bigger when he was reliving it through hypnosis. And he realized how, just how big it was, the initial craft. And he's, it, was, it was massive, massive, at least three to 400 yards wide and cigar-shaped. So just really massive uh, aircraft that was just sitting there hovering in the sky this mm-hmm. entire time. But going through his encounter again during this hypnosis session, he was gassed. He was only out for a few minutes. He never left the tree. They never made it up to get him. For whatever reason, they... They were like, fuck this guy, just, let's go. They just took off. I, maybe because it was starting to, starting to get light out, they just took off. They were exhausted from trying to help <laughs> they, him. They, they had it with this guy. Let him stay in the tree. Ah. We're not helping him anymore. You know, we're taking his money, too. Yeah, let's, t- let's just get these coins. These are shiny. Let's take these. These are cool. We'll stop at the Seven Eleven on the way, on the way out. Yeah, so that was yeah. He was he was regressed, but that was it. That was the only thing he recalled was just the size of the craft being just massive. So I shared my thoughts, my like everywhere thoughts with this. What are your thoughts on this? I I tend to believe his story the way he said it. I think he believes that he was in danger, obviously due to the the way he acted and everything. Uh, I, I left out he the two arrowheads that he had remaining. He did give those to NICAP to send them out to a metallurgist to get them analyzed. And the way it was explained in the book, the arrowheads were wrapped in cotton and shipped off. And whatever residue was on the arrowhead must have come off on the cotton or flaked off into the cotton. So they were not packaged properly to get analyzed. And when they arrived at the metallurgist, there was nothing on the arrowhead to analyze. And they didn't realize that it must have fallen into the cotton because they had thrown the packaging away. And so they they never were able to find anything on there. And like I said, the Air Force never reached back to him and never returned his arrowhead, never gave him any information that they may or may not have found. So So your thoughts? uh, So my thoughts are that... I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Was it, 
was it aliens from another world? I don't know. It's so hard to, it's so hard to say. I, that's the thing. I change my mind on this stuff all the time. Well, I'll hear a different story and I'll try to rationalize it and try to figure it out based on how, what I'm thinking at the time. I, I don't know. I, I want to say that it had to have been some kind of a, of a if it not a government project, some type of a, a clandestine operation that was going on. But I think that it was definitely, I think it was humans. Uh, I think they were either just messing with the guy not try. I think if they really wanted to get up to him, they would have. I think it was kind of one of those. They're just kind of messing with this guy, see what they can get him to do, get him not to do. But why know. are they so small? Well, again, this is his perception from where he is. But he he's, said even the footprints. He's were... guessing. Yeah. Well, again, but but he's got no photographic evidence of that. All yeah. he has is rake marks on the ground. Yeah. So. Is it, it, he said that that's what he saw when he came out of the tree, but he came out of the tree, remember, being up all night, being gassed several times, mm-hmm. and being hungry, tired, terrified, exhausted, probably delirious. <laughs> so did he? were they that small, really? Is that just what his perception was when he came out of the tree? I don't know. So I, I, can, I, can, I can explain that away in my mind mm-hmm. that way, just taking all that kind of stuff into account. So I have, I don't know. I, 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 if I had to put money on it, I'd say probably some kind of clandestine operation that was going on with some, probably a military contractor of some kind. And they were just doing stuff, stuff, excuse me, something in the area. And yeah, they saw the guy up in the tree and started to fuck with him. Or, hey, there's a guy in the tree. Or, we should help him. Or, hey, maybe let's help this guy in the tree. And maybe they couldn't talk through their masks or whatever they were wearing. Maybe they couldn't. I, I was maybe, thinking. Maybe if it was some kind of gear they were testing out and they can't. Or what if they're communicating to each other? Like they have like speakers and Like a headset or something. Yeah, uh, maybe. So they can talk to each other. But all that you hear outside, if you're not is set like in a, the setup, you hear like that noise. You hear like that noise. Yeah, yeah like the, the chirping and whatever. It could be. Was it aliens from Mars or Venus? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I'm also not going to say it wasn't because I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? So that's the Cisco Grove UFO encounter. I definitely recommend getting the book and checking it out. Like I said, it's pretty inexpensive. I gave you most of the story, but there's illustrations. There's illustrations. There's a lot of stuff in there. He's got the maps in there, the whole thing. It's. And it's a, like I said, it's a quick read mm-hmm. because it's it's got the, di- the the maps, the diagrams, pictures are all interspersed throughout the story, throughout the text, and and it's uh, it's it's pretty good. There's a lot of just interesting theories placed by uh, put forth by the authors, mm-hmm. uh, by just different people that have interviewed Donald Trump, and they all say that he seems credible he seems like an honest guy he doesn't seem like he has any i mean i don't think he's made any money off the story not not until recently i don't even know if he gets any money from the from this book because it's just his story he didn't write it so i i don't know how, i don't know how any of that stuff works and and honestly I don't know how, how rich can you get off of a book like this you know what i mean like sometimes it's not about the money that's true too but i think also just the fact that he remained anonymous this whole time Wanting to remain anonymous until 2005, 
that's what is that 50 years almost 50 years after the fact what i mean you know and and this stage of his life where he's got grown children Mm -hmm. grandkids and everything by this point like are you really looking for any more glory or any kind of notoriety at this point? It seems like he's just a guy, an honest guy who just wanted to get his story out there. He went through something and again, tying it into missing 411 from last week. Is this what maybe something that's happening in the woods? Is this maybe what's occurring? Could this explain, like you were mentioning that some of the, the folks that end up in trees, some of the folks that end up without their clothes on, if that's, what these beings were doing, then he did the right damn thing by not letting them get him. He did the right thing by, by, you know, surviving and, and waiting to, to hold and kiss his wife and daughter again. So I don't know, but I definitely think going back to four, the missing four one one, I think politis is onto something. I think it's gotta be in order to figure out what's happening to people out there. You have to start looking at things like this and maybe Maybe it is something like this that's occurring. Maybe it's not some type of a natural, unknown or unseen predator in the wild. Maybe it is. But maybe it is something perhaps otherworldly, perhaps some type of a clandestine operation, some kind of secretive thing. I don't know, but I think it's definitely something to consider. All right. And with that, let us know what you think. Sure. Yeah, your thoughts on this. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. But you got any final thoughts on the Cisco Grove? Oh, I gave all my thoughts. Anything else you want to mention? No, I mean, that's, um, I think I shared every, everywhere my mind went hearing the story, I shared it. All right, fantastic. So until next time. I am the Golden Greek, Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, Gorgeous, amazing, intelligent, certified hypnotherapist. Now on the Crystallize app, the lovely Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker podcast. We love hearing from and interacting with our hearers and watchers. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HomewreckerPod. You can also visit our website, HomewreckerPodcast.com, where you can check out past episodes and pick up some Homewrecker Podcast gear from our online store. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're hearing or watching our show. That way you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can check out the video versions of our show at YouTube and Brideon. You can also find Monique in a few places online as well. I'm on Twitter at underscore Monique Giselle underscore. If you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, incense, candles, and other cool things, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. Or if you're interested in hypnotherapy, you can go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to schedule a free 20-minute consult. And follow me on Twitter at Monique P-C-H-T. And Alex, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Alex Arion, and you can check out my website, alexarionfitness.com. And if that's too much to remember, we get it. That's why we put it all in our show notes. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we appreciate all of your support. We do. Thank you. We love you.